Thank you guys. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. If you're new today, we have been walking through um, one of the greatest books in the Bible, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. We are in the 10th uh, chapter. I'm really thankful for Nishat bringing God's word uh, last Sunday uh, as we were en route uh, back from Florida and getting Courtney uh, settled in to college at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, there's an emptiness when we walk up to her, her room these days for sure, but that is more than overshadowed by just the joy that we feel. Uh, she is in the perfect school uh, for her, and uh, we, we couldn't have just been more kind of impressed by uh, the welcome and just the way that she settled in this week. But be in prayer for, for Courtney and for all of our college students. We've got uh, all of our, our schools uh, kind of, if they didn't begin last week, they probably begin uh, this next week. And so we want to remember our, our students, whether they're college or high school or junior high or elementary, we want to pray for our teachers teachers uh, on these campuses that, uh, that God would just be uh, working through them uh, just to, as lights uh, where they are on their campuses. So um, let's pray together as we, before we, we read God's word. Father, we, we lift up this time to you. We pray for your Holy Spirit to work now through your word. Father, as we've prayed, as we've praised and sung together um, as we've been reminded of your promises. We pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts um, as we uh, dig into this critically important passage in your word, which really tells us what, what we are to be about as a body of believers. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak to us this morning as we just kind of go back to, to first things, back to basics, back, and we pray that you would give us, by your spirit, the missionary fire in our church that characterized the early church. And so, Lord, speak to us now as we read your word and as we dig into it together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's, um, let's take a look at, at Romans 10. And we're going to begin reading uh, with verse 9 and move through verse 15. I'll ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we look at it together. Romans 10, and let's begin with verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You can be seated. <clears throat> You know, uh, 
week, week before last, as we prepared to, to go down to take Courtney to college, we, we made sure that the cars that we were going to be driving were oiled up and ready to go and just got everything kind of checked out and to know that we were ready for a long trip. The last thing that you want to see on a trip is for the check engine light to come on. Well, it's funny, I, I read about a recent survey in which about 10% of American drivers reported that they routinely drive with their check engine light on. And what was really startling about that was that about half of the 10% reported that they had been driving with their check engine light on for over three months. Now, they had all kinds of reasons that they gave for that. Some of them said, well, you know, it's, hey, it seems to be running fine until it's not, right? Um, and others said, well, you know, I don't have the funds to deal with that right now. Or others said, I don't have the, the, the time to deal with that right now. When we think about the American church and we think about where the American church is, especially with respect to evangelism and missions. The check engine light has been on now for a long, long time. In fact, it's been on for decades. You know, just in our own family of churches, in our own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, which, by the way, is doing far, far better than almost any other, but in our family of churches, this past year, uh, SBC churches, 40-some thousand, maybe 46,000 churches now, baptized about, about 254,000 people, which is a great praise. Over a quarter of a million people, every single one of them is, is, a, is, a, is worthy of celebration and rejoicing. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when just one comes to Christ. We had 254,000 baptisms over the past year, but here's what you need to know. In 1972, the churches of our denomination, which there were far less churches in 1972, but in 1972, SBC churches baptized 446,000 people. And so... The, the graph has been going like this for years and years and years. Now, some of that for sure is because of, of factors beyond the local church. A, a lot of that is due to demographics. Um, in 1972, uh, the baby boom generation was coming of age, and so people who were born, you know, say from the late 40s through the 50s into the, the early 60s were, you know, in, uh, you know in, in junior high or high school or young, young adults. And so, uh, you know, you had a, a much larger pool, and especially people um, of, you know, young people, um, students and young adults. I mean, just the, the pool was just uh, much, much, much larger. 
And so there was a, a flood of just because of the baby boom of, 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 of students, of, of young adults in the churches. And on top of that, on top of the baby boom, there was the fact that, that during that period, during the, the 50s, and on into the 60s, and to an extent, even in the, the very early 70s, in our culture, it was still kind of culturally expected that people would go to church. Um, and so, you know, if, if churches had kind of, you know, competent preaching and decent programming, it was very likely that they were going to be you know, filled and growing, and especially growing with young people. Well, we, we, live, in a, we live in a different world today. We're living in a world today where unless, some, unless God has done something in your life, you are not likely to be in a church at all. And especially with, with young people, unless the Lord is doing something powerful in their life, the chances of them being in a church are almost nil. What this means is that we're living today, and increasingly, as we move deeper and deeper into the 21st century, what that means is that we're living in a, in a culture in America that is more and more like the culture that the early Christians lived in. The early Christians in cities like Corinth and Ephesus and Rome, where this letter was written to, lived in, in, in a pagan environment. They were surrounded not by belief but but by unbelief or by false belief they were surrounded by uh, loads and loads of 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 immorality it, it was a situation very very much like the one that we are living in even more so as the years go by that we will be living in in 21st century america Here's the question. We're living in times that are more and more like the times of the early Christians, but here's the question. Will we be characterized by the missionary fire of the early Christians? The Swiss theologian Emil Bruner once said that the church exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. In other words, a, a fire continues to exist because it continues to be fueled. And only if it continues to be fueled. You stop fueling the fire, the fire goes out. If the church loses its mission, there is no more church. It just dies. And that's what's happening with thousands of churches across America every year. You know, in the Southern Baptist Convention, we plant 
thousands of churches every year, but for every one that we plant, there are almost as many that are closing their doors. If, if churches in the 21st century are not serious, and I mean really serious, about the mission, they will die. Their trajectory is downward, and it will continue to go downward. Will we step up and have the missionary fire of the early church? Now, in this text, it, 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 calls, us, it calls us to that. Paul here is, is giving us the, uh, the logic and the basis of the missionary fire that should characterize our church or any church. So let's look at it together. We, we, we see three questions here. One is what must we do to be saved? And we see that in verses 9 and 10. We, we looked at these week before last, but I want us to go back over them because they flow into what he says in verses 11 through 15. So verses 9 and 10. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so to review what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, what we see here in verses 9 and 10 is we see internal conviction. We must believe with our heart, and then we see an external confession. We must confess with our mouth. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if someone has genuinely believed on Jesus in their heart, then that will be followed inevitably by confession with their mouth. If it's real in the heart, it will be confessed with the mouth. And we talked about the fact that the, the, the formula here Jesus is Lord, the confession, Jesus is Lord. That's what the early believers would confess just before they got baptized. That's what we do here, just before people are lowered beneath the water. You know, I ask them, what is your confession today? And they state, Jesus is my Savior and Lord. And so the confession Jesus is Lord was something that people would confess publicly at their baptism. The New Testament knows nothing about a so-called believer who is silent about it. A so-called believer who refuses to be a part of the church, who, who refuses to, uh, to be baptized. Who refuses to, to openly declare that they belong to Jesus? And, and so, look, here's the issue Have you believed in your heart? Has the Holy Spirit worked in your life to bring you from death to life? Has the Holy Spirit worked in your heart to convict you that you are a sinner? in need of a savior and, ha and have you turned to the savior in repentance and in faith and put your trust in Christ alone for salvation? Has that happened in your life? 
And have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you gone public with that? Have you been baptized as a believer? It's an issue of obedience. It's not a church tradition. It's a command from Jesus. We are to be baptized as believers. Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is not a church tradition. It is a command from Jesus. Have you obeyed that command? Have you been baptized as a believer? If not, then if you love Jesus, don't you want to obey him? You know, let us know. We'll set up a date. We'll come alongside for you to, to follow the Lord in obedience and believer's baptism. You just let us know. And so, belief in the heart and confession with the mouth, they're like two sides of the same coin, right? It's really impossible to have one without the other. So, the first question, what must we do to be saved, is answered in verses 9 and 10. Second, who is invited to be saved? Let's look at verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now notice the extent of the language here that Paul uses in verses 11 through 13. He says in verse 11, who? Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your race is, God makes no distinction for the same Lord is Lord of who? All, bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone. <laughs> who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, each year in, in March, uh, kind of the, the beginning of March madness in, in college basketball is a show that will come on on a, on a Sunday evening in early March. I'm usually tied up, and so I record it to, to watch later on. But it's, it's the NCAA show where the, all of the teams that are invited to, to, to play in the NCAA tournament are announced. And so, you know, you pay a special attention to kind of where different teams are going to be seated. But then everybody wants to pay special attention to the teams that are on the bubble. <laughs> the teams that are on the bubble are teams that may be invited to play, but they may not be invited to play. And so every year, they'll have cameras that'll be set up in student centers at, college, at these kind of on the bubble teams. And so the, the guys on the team will be sitting there with their school apparel, their sweats or whatever on, and cheerleaders will be there or whatever, other students. And so, and if, and if their name is called, as they announce the brackets for the tournament, if, if the name of their school is called, ah, they, they jump up and they cheer and they're, they're hugging one another. 
But then, as they continue announcing these, the brackets and these invitations, you'll see other bubble teams that are sitting there and as time goes on and more and more names are announced, reality just sets in. <laughs> that their team is, is, is not going to be invited to play and you can just see their body language just visibly just slump. You know, I, I, can, I can relate to this. One time I was in school and we had basketball tryouts and, and uh, I knew I was, I, was, I was an on the bubble player, okay? And so I, I knew I, I might be invited to play, I might not be invited to play. Uh, and the coach said at the end of tryouts, he said, okay, I'm putting the names up on my door tomorrow morning. So the next day I got to school extra early so nobody would be around. Um, and, uh, and so I, I walked up to the door and I look at the list of the guys that are invited to play on a team and I don't see my name and it was really sad but this is this is even sadder this is really sad I turned around and took a few steps away and then I turned back around <laughs> went back to the door just to make sure that I hadn't skipped over oh no I hadn't skipped over it was not there well listen you can be assured that you are invited to the only team. You're invited to be a part of the only team that ultimately matters. You are invited to know the only one who can save Jesus. That, that invitation, Paul says here, is, is extended to everyone. Revelation 22:17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You don't need money. You don't need the right parents. You don't need the right past. You don't need a perfect record. Because when you come to Jesus, his perfect record is going to be credited to you. The issue is have you responded to that invitation? Have you responded? Third question is how are people invited to be saved? How are people invited to be saved? Is this something that God writes in the clouds? You know, does he, does he get planes to kind of uh, fly around the world with, with streamers going behind the planes like we see at the, the beach with, the, with John 3.16 attached to the back of the plane? No, God has decreed that this message is going to be extended from person to person. Person to person. That's what he's talking about here in verses 14 and 15. Let's look at it. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now here we see the, the logic of evangelism and missions. And Paul here is, is like, he's, he's firing off 
a series of rhetorical questions. They're rhetorical questions because the answer is embedded within the question itself. The questions, the answers to the questions are obvious. They logically follow one after the other. First question, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now this flows right out of what he says in verse 13 because he says there, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then the logical question is how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And the answer is they can't. No one can, is going to call upon Jesus to save them unless they have believed on Jesus. That leads to question number two. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And the answer is obvious. They can't. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can people do that if they haven't believed in Jesus? They can't. And how can they believe if they've never heard of him? They can't. Do you realize that in our world today that there are over 6,000 unreached, unengaged people groups? These are people groups with distinct languages and culture that are not only unreached with the gospel, they're not even engaged right now by the gospel. They have never heard the good news of Jesus. And friends, that is simply unacceptable. Unacceptable. And do not delude yourself into thinking that people who have never heard of Jesus are sort of in some separate category and that they can go to heaven anyway. The Bible does not teach that. In fact, if that were true, Paul would not be saying what he is saying. If that were true, the last thing we would want to do is send missionaries. But he's made it clear in chapter 1 that, that, that human beings, every human being is without excuse. And in order to be saved, they, they, they must hear the gospel. I saw an incredible stat yesterday. It was heartbreaking that among the average, the average professing believer in America gives about zero 0.06% of their income to reaching the unreached peoples of the world. Now, part of that is that, you know, most Christians don't tithe. They don't practice giving you know, 10% of their income uh, to their uh, church, let alone offerings beyond that tithe. But, but, in some cases, even if people are doing that, they belong to churches that do virtually nothing for international missions. Now, praise God, that is not the case in our church. Our church is uh, 
budget is incredibly uh, generous with missions. We have offerings on top of our budget where every penny goes to reach the unreached. We have an international mission board uh, that is, is doing incredible strategic work in locating unreached peoples and, 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 and seeking to reach the last, the least, and the lost with the gospel. And so as you give, you can give with the confidence to know that is happening in this church. It is not so in most churches. Even many very large churches, even in many churches that are growing, it's all about them. It's it's all about their, their own deal. And there's little or no concern for for those with the least access to the gospel. Now this leads to yet another question that Paul poses in verse 14. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And the word preaching here does not really refer to a guy like me who's preaching a sermon. The word here is keruso. Um, which was like a, a word of the street. It was a word that was used for heralds that would go out and announce good news in the streets of cities and villages. They were like living newspapers, right? There's no printing press, let alone internet. And so the way that people got news is that these, these heralds would go out into the streets and announce the news. And so when Paul says here, and how can they hear without someone preaching, he's not talking about just guys like me preaching sermons. He's talking about people like you, people like all of us that are out there in their lives, on their jobs, in their neighborhoods, in their schools, among their their friends, announcing the good news about Jesus. Now, you know, can, can someone be saved by sitting in a, a church service like this and, and hearing a message? Well, of course! The gospel is proclaimed from this pulpit every single Sunday. But how many unbelievers are here? You've got to bring people you got to bring your lost friends. I can fill this pulpit. And I promise you, I will preach the good news of Jesus every Sunday. You don't have to worry about, oh, I'm going to bring my friend one Sunday and they're not going to hear the gospel. No, they will hear the gospel at this church every single Sunday. I will be prepared to the hilt to preach God's word every single Sunday. I can fill this pulpit. I cannot fill these pews. I cannot do it. It will not happen without the people of this church bringing their friends, bringing unsafe people in your life, bringing unchurched people with you. It's incumbent upon all of us to, to be investing in the lives of people that don't know the Savior. They are all around us. 
I think about that song by Steve Green, every day they pass us by. They are all around. We live in a sea of lost people. Are you investing in their lives? Are you opening your lips to declare the good news about Jesus? Do you care about them? Do you love them enough to do that? Is that not a part of love? We just sung it earlier. What a beautiful song where we, we, we prayed, move, move me in love to those around me. Part of loving people is sharing the only news with them that can ever save them. That's part of love. Part of love is sharing the gospel with them. Part of loving them is seeking to involve them in the body of Christ where they can, hear, can know, learn more about the good news of Jesus and become a part of the movement of Jesus and be discipled. Do you love the lost people, the unchurched people around you, the people in your life? Let's look at verse 15. There's a final question here. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As Christians, we are sent ones. Jesus says in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Do you know when you got called to missions? When you got called to Christ? Does that mean that every person is, is called to live out their life on foreign soil? No, but let me tell you what we have done. We have, we have done a reversal in American churches, and we have said that if you're called to ministry, you know, unless you're specifically called to go, that means you're called to stay. I would say that in light of the needs of the world and the numbers of people groups that have never heard of Jesus, I would say that that needs to be flipped. And that unless you are specifically called to stay, then you should go. Melissa and I had to wrestle with this in our, our first church because we became convicted of this. And God had to get us to a place where not only were we ready to go live our lives in another country, we were, we were looking forward to that and we were totally surrendered to that. We were at peace with that. Humanly speaking, it's what we wanted. And God had to get us to that place. And it was then that he made clear, no Thurman, you know, I've, I've gifted you because I want you to be a pastor of churches that send. I want you to pastor sending churches. How can they go unless they are sent? If, if, if sending churches like ours dry up, then those who are on the field cannot be sent. They cannot be sustained. One of the reasons that we came, that we accepted the call to come back to this church is because 
I knew this church to be a church that was serious about missions. And I knew that if, if, if this church continued to go downhill, then the implications of that would go far beyond this community. The implications of that would be tragic for many, many people whose faces we would never see until we get to heaven. And so part of the, part of the burden and the call of coming back here is because I, I knew that this church was strategic and serious in its commitment to, to the last, the least, and the lost overseas. But listen to me, listen to me. If our church is not serious about evangelism in our community, eventually the mission to those overseas will die. The mission to people internationally is sustained by a healthy church here. And it's only as we reach people here and make disciples here that we can sustain and grow that, that, that giving, sending, praying, going force that is gonna to touch the world with the gospel, right? So the, so the health, the evangelistic health of our church here impacts the nations. Does that make sense? Now Paul concludes here in verse 15 with this incredible quote from Isaiah 52, seven. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In its original context, He's talking here about the, the feet of those who announce the end of exile in Israel. Now think about this. Every day as we move throughout our lives, in our community, in our culture, every day we are around people who are in exile, spiritual exile. They are estranged from God, separated from God, in exile from him. Our joyous responsibility that we get to be a part of is that we get to announce to lost people all around us that their exile can be over. Their separation from God can end. Their estrangement from God can end. Why? Because God has built a bridge. And that bridge is Jesus who took their sins and upon himself and paid the price and rose from the dead that they can experience redemption, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, abundant life, a flourishing life in Christ in the context of the church. Hmm. We get to go out and we get to spread that. The world is not gonna be one through Christian celebrities. It's not. It's, it's not gonna be won through past, just pastors. No, the world is gonna be won by ordinary believers who are living out the mission every day in their lives. Let's pray together. <clears throat> 
Father, we thank you for what we get to be a part of as believers. We thank you that we can live lives that are charged with significance and purpose. Lives that can, can touch people around us with the gospel, that can impact people thousands of miles away from us with the gospel as we give, as we go, as we pray, as we send. Lord, we thank you for ascending church. Lord, I thank you for the unselfishness of this church and the commitment of, of this church that goes way, way before I ever became pastor here um, to, to, to the Great Commission. And Lord, we pray that you'd make us faithful. We pray that as we go deeper into these years of the 21st century, living in an, in an American culture that is so secular, increasingly secular, increasingly pagan, increasingly dark and lost. Lord, give us the missionary fire of the early believers. Make us bold with the gospel. Give us passion, passion and compassion for people around us who need the Savior. Help us to move in love to those around us that need you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. If you're here today and you need the Savior, you need to, you need to believe in your heart, or maybe you have believed in your heart, but you haven't gone public with that. You need to confess with your mouth. You need to be baptized as, as a believer in Christ and confess him unashamedly and openly. In just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing, and I wanna invite you to step out from where you are. Let me know what God is doing in your life. Or we'll be here right after the service. Come share with us. We would love to talk with you. Come alongside you. We'll set up a time for you to be baptized as a believer. If there's just, if you have questions, just questions about the gospel, questions about what it means to follow Jesus, listen, we are here for you. God has put you in this place today. Let us know. Let us know what God is doing in your life. Let's stand together as we sing.